Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com works with architects from architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products for their building projects. We at KZSU thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Tom Dioro. Thank you, Shay. For our guest today, please welcome Liz Gibbons, architect and mayor of Campbell, California, honored as a Campbell Citizen of the Year in 2014. Liz understands the power of architecture transforming a community as president of the American Institute of Architects, Silicon Valley, Liz has worked extensively with federal and state legislators. Um, For these services, she was named a John B. Bowles Fellow. For more information, you can visit www.ci.campbell.ca.us. That's ci.campbell.ca.us. Hello, Liz. We're happy and honored to have you here on the Modern Architect Radio Show. Thank you, Tom. It's a wonderful opportunity to talk about architecture and the environment and public service. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Liz, you and I talked on our way over here um, uh, about... It's, it, what is inspiring to you? What early inspirations that you that you've had or experienced that kind of led, led you to where you are now and the accomplishments and the continued success? Share with, if you don't mind, share with us some of the some of the your, your memories of you know kind of how it all kind of makes sense to you. How it all came together. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear. Well, the longer I talk, you, some of your audience at least will pick up on the facts that, uh, fact that I'm not a native Californian. <laughs> I have a slight New England accent, uh, maybe even a Bostonian accent. Love it. And I had, grew up with lots and lots of snow. And this is, <laughs> this is completely true. I would spend my summers designing the snow huts I would build out of the shoveled snow at the end of the driveway. No way, really? Abs- Absolutely. I had all the multiple rooms, the central entrance hall. I had the built-in furniture. Absolutely did that. And then when the snow... The driveway? uh, From the bottom of the driveway. We had long driveways, and you'd shovel these... At that age, seemed like tremendously high snow uh, piles, you know? And we'd big big igloos, you know? We'd dig out from under. Um, And when I wasn't doing that in the winter, in the um, summer times... I stole my brother's Lincoln log set. (laughs) Did he take kindly to it? No, he did not. Okay, okay. (laughs) My parents finally figured out I had to have my own. 
Oh, oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so what would you do with the Lincoln Logs? Did you, you went at design? Did you go beyond even what they showed you what you could do? Well, I've always said that I liked puzzles. Okay. And to me, the Lincoln Logs were the puzzles. And one of the characteristics that uh, is very commonly ascribed to architects is that we think three-dimensionally. Okay. Now, if you stop and think about that, what does that really mean? It means inside our heads, we don't think of north, south, east, west, you know, two dimensions. Mm -hmm. We okay. actually think around corners. We actually think about volumes and space. And when I was using the uh, Tinker Toys and, and the Lincoln Logs, it was my learning experience to understand when you put them together, okay. there was something all the way around on the other side. You weren't just building what you could see. It was creating something that was around the corner and behind you. Yes. Okay. Good. Excellent. I love that you shared that with our audience. Now, thinking of that volume and space, I'd like to tell our audience briefly how you and I came came to, mm -hmm. to be here. Was uh, I call her the great Michelle Nay? She is great. Um, uh, we were talking uh, before our show about uh, my opinion, and I wasn't sure if this was going to fly with her. But I said, you know, I believe that a lot of cities would do much. City would do much better if they actually had a mayor who was an architect, a registered architect. And she did not respond immediately, and I wasn't sure. Uh oh, I may have said something <laughs> I shouldn't have said. And and uh, when she did, she agreed, and I went, oh great. And then I just spilled it all. I said because they understand what you what. Part of what you're just saying about thinking vol the volume, the space, I didn't say 3D, but just you get you get the total picture, not just, you know, in your mind's eye, um, but, you know, the entire city. And, and I thought, boy, if a mayor actually had that, regardless of whatever political uh, um, connection that they had, if they have that background and they have that... Um, that DNA to them, that the city would benefit immense. And she said, yeah, she's got a top, you know, Liz Gibbons. I said, no, I didn't know. So yeah, she's a man. I just, it was like, I got to <laughs> have her on. I've got to have her on and give her me her number. And so anyway, we're honored you're here, Thank but you. that's how, how you came about being here is, is my, my, Still, strong belief is, and you're actually putting in, in, into, into, into play on a daily basis, is that that, that background, how has that helped you as, as mayor um, to kind of quantify what I was thinking? Well, uh, one of the I, – I love being an architect, okay? Um, I can't tell you that any more than to say it's intrinsic to how I am and I think and how I experience the world around me. And whenever I go on vacations with uh, my friends, I always go a couple of days early so I can do my architecty thing. No and way. I can look at all these buildings and all these spaces and all these materials so that my f dear, dear friends <laughs> don't have to have me stay in there. Did you see that building? And did you see that bridge? And look at that stonework. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so, sacred. It is. It's, it's a yeah. special time for me to, to have, have those experiences. And I'll segue that. That comment because when you're a mayor, um, and I'll even go back one step further, I only got involved in politics in the pure sense of it being an elected person uh, was because as an architect, you do in fact create environments, right? 
buildings create spaces within buildings, but a lot of people don't realize how important the spaces outside the buildings are, the spaces that the buildings create outside of themselves. And uh, I was very conscious of that. That's part of my big picture uh-huh. thinking. And when I had an opportunity, I joined the local planning commission. Okay. And the planning commission is a group of people that review projects that are proposed to be built in a community or um, different kinds of public improvement projects, parks, open spaces, downtown, different things like that. Um, so I did that for many years. And when I um, decided I had, had done that enough, I <laughs> took some time off. And my friend said, well, you can't just leave. Um, and I said, well, uh, mm, I was kind of thinking about that. And they said, well, you've got to run for council. So I became more politically engaged because it's Planning Commission is political, but not as an elected official. You're appointed by elected officials. Mm. I became an elected official. Um, And I really think that um, I felt good about wanting to take on the role of a council member Mm -hmm. uh, because architects are trained to think very broadly. We really try and understand 3D things around the corners, what's changing, what are the unintended consequences. And I like to think that I bring that thought process to government decisions. Nice. You definitely do. Um, how, how is that? Did you, did you think of that before you got in so involved? Did you think, oh, you know what, I think I may bring this. I, I did. I okay. really, I was conscious of if I was going to run for public office, what did I bring to being an elected official. I mean, I had knowledge of the community. I understood budgets. Um, I understood this decision-making process. But what would make me a better person to be elected to the council? So it was part of my campaign um, was to say, you know, what is it that I uniquely can bring uh, to every discussion, um, I, I'm used to engaging people mm-hmm. and listening to people. So, yes, it was really important to me from the very beginning. Yeah. You and I were also talking on our way over here is um, is the uh, how do you deal with what it's adjustments or circumstance. I forgot what actually the word that we were talking about. Like, how do you deal with resilience? There it is. Please share with us resilience and, and some of the, 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 the programs that you were putting on. Oh. And we got a chance to exercise it. Right. Uh, re- resilience is a, a turn of phrase, uh, use of a word that's become popular right now. Uh, it has uh, many definitions and applications. Some people think of resilience as saying, in the case of a disaster, which our dear friends um, all around mm-hmm. the state are dealing with as well as around the country, um, is how do you rebound? How, how can you um, be resilient to disaster? That is one question, uh, our interpretation. The other one is being resilient in terms of looking forward. How can you look forward and be resilient to all the incredible changes that are going to happen to your city 
or your profession profession that you have no idea about. And the word that's often associated with that type of uh, resilience definition is futurism. You know, are, are you a futurist? What futurism? is it? Wow. Futurism, okay. yeah. It's it's um, a new way of thinking. Um, and do you ha- do you remember the movie? Um, uh, I think it's called Over the Hedge. Yeah, the cartoon movie. The cartoon yeah, it's movie. It's adorable. It's adorable. Yeah. And I likened uh, what my profession of architects <laughs> I love it. is changing dramatically, just dramatically. And we want to be resilient to everything that's going to change our profession. Artificial intelligence, climate change, you know, the whole um, driverless cars. What is... This and anything else we can't imagine right now going to do. So I likened it to all of us coming <laughs> over the and seeing this massive hedge. Yep. And we need to get to the other side. And what's going to happen when we do get to the other side? So I like that imagery <laughs> of, of how I'd like to think of our profession as moving forward for the next 150 years. Yeah, I hope it's as entertaining. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great, that was a great, great film. And I like your analogy, especially yeah. to a cartoon. So, so st- stay on that if you don't mind for a bit, that over the hedge. So what, what do you foresee other than what you've expressed? Uh, you know, shared with us uh, um, over the hedge that that is actually going to be a part of our everyday life that may, you know, today, 2017, almost 2018, doesn't seem like it, but within two, three years, it may be actually a part of as much of a part of our life as, you know, going to the mailbox or, or you know, looking at our inbox. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to see if I can blow your mind. Okay. Please go for <laughs> it. Yeah. We want All right. So one of your focuses is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Okay. So sustainability is another Another one of those words that came about and got a lot of attention and definition. Sustainability is actually changing the definition and the application of what actually is sustainable. So I'm going to talk about a program that I am very excited about that as a politician, (laughs) I could actually help implement. But as an architect, I have a whole different contribution to the decision making. You got to share it. Okay. I can't. No, this is all public information, all public. So uh, this is happening across the state of California and they're called uh, community choice energy, community choice aggregate, community choice energy. What these are, are groups of cities and or counties that come together to produce and provide their own electrical power to their citizens. So here... Are you kidding? No, and so Palo Alto's a little different um, and probably is Stanford. But in Santa Clara County and San Mateo County and San Francisco County and starting up in Alameda County and Monterey County and um, places of Sonoma and Napa counties were the first counties to do this uh, seven years ago now. Mm -hmm. And what it means is that we no longer buy all of our citizens. In, so in my uh, county of Santa Clara, we have 12 municipalities that have come together and have formed what's called a JPA, a Joint Powers Authority. And we now buy all the electrical power for all our citizens. They can opt out, but in general, simplified, we can buy the electrical power for all our citizens. And we buy 100% carbon neutral power. Everyone that is part of our organization 
has their power produced with 100% carbon neutral. Are you kidding? That is extraordinary. Isn't it? And, oh, my. Yeah. And we do between oh, 25 and 50% renewable power for everyone. You're not kidding. That's right. unbelievable. So that, that's the mundane stuff. That's just the day-to-day practicality. What's really exciting, I think. Mundane? Yeah, it's, that's okay. you know, just day-to-day happens, right. you know. Go ahead, please. This, to me, is good governance. <clears throat> what we're hap- what's happening now is our goal is to promote a carbon-neutral and perhaps even a carbon-free environment. So electricity is the highest source, uh, is, is one of the highest sources of um, a carbon fuel generation, right? So we've mm-hmm. solved that. But what happens if people have things that don't use electricity? Like you have a gas clothes dryer. You have a gas hot water heater. You have a car powered by gasoline. You have a gas lawnmower. You have a gas leaf blower. Okay? Sure. What would happen to carbon uh, production if all of those items were converted to electrical items. Really? Okay. Okay. So come on. We please. yeah. Okay. We this this is the mind twist. This is the two year complete weird mind twist. <laughs> Most people um, may not be aware. Now Palo Alto is different, and Santa Clara is different because they're their own electrical generation mm-hmm. things, and the city of San Jose is doing their own thing individually. So in general. I always have to be. I always have to qualify things. I'm a politician, so nothing is absolutely 100 uh, percent whatever. So, what we're trying to say is, in about two years, in January of 2019, there's going to be some changes in how people are going to um, pay for their power. Okay, and it's going to be time of use power, and I'm going to put that as the backdrop. Okay. Okay. So, so far. right now, the state of California produces an extraordinary amount of solar energy, right? Solar power. Okay? And it's producing more and more every day. Okay? It's producing so much solar power that the electrical grid cannot absorb it, which means... We literally have to pay the state of Nevada or some other uh, entity to take our excess power. We actually pay them to take our excess power. Isn't that a revenue source as well? Okay, so those are the technicalities that a new business is working out. The fact that our power is so cheap, it's called negative pricing. We have to pay them. So they could normally buy solar power at, say, $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour. We have to pay them $0.02 cents a kilowatt hour to take our power. Oh, my. You know? So this is mind-boggling. Yeah. So what's another aspect of this? We've all been trained to do our laundry and our dishes and charging our cars after 7 o'clock at night, Right. Yeah, right? really. Because the peak now load of all it. the buildings and everything, you know, uh-huh. your your brownout periods are typically from 3 to 6 in the evening, right? 3 yeah. in the afternoon to 6 in the evening. That's going to change. 
because there's so much power being produced in those hours. As long as the grid is adjusted to make this all come together, puzzles are puzzles. Yeah. Puzzles it's going to be it's going to be really important that we change our habits and do our laundry in the middle of the afternoon, do our uh, car charging in the middle of the excuse me in the middle of the afternoon. A whole new educational mindset yeah. is going to come about, and this is going to happen in the next two, three years. Yeah. How do you? How do you? Other than the, the technical and the mechanical part of that process, how how do you help facilitate that mind change? So, <laughs> I have an answer for that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, just last night we had a meeting of the, in my case, the Silicon Valley Clean Energy. Board of Directors. Okay, so we're the Board of Directors representing all 12 jurisdictions that are part of this power providing. And we have identified a community membership group, i.e. everyday residents, who can apply to be on a special committee to advise us on how and when and what to support in the way of educating people, getting the word out, uh, exchanging gas lawnmowers for new lawnmower, uh, electric lawnmowers, all of those kind of things. We're asking our members, our, our mm-hmm. rate payers, to come and tell us, sit together and tell us what they think is the way to go to get the community informed, educated, excited about this wonderful opportunity to be carbon neutral. I mean, it's it's spectacular. I think. I, yeah, that it's it's. It, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is mind blowing. And to, uh, now I have an understanding of how you're going to have, you can help people just just change their mind for the yes. for the for the better. For the better. Yeah. yeah All of this is going to reduce their electric bills. Yeah. You know, it's it's just so. As an architect, yeah. I see buildings being designed differently. Yes. Now, as an architect as well, do you think it it plays into? Um, adjusting human behavior as well? Uh, so I, I'll answer that in, a, in an anecdotal story. I have okay. some dear architect friends who put a solar system on top of their uh, roof, and they found that they used their appliances more, their TVs, their radios, their <laughs> dishwashers. They used all their tools, elect, uh, all electric tools more because their power was either cheap or free. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So it is going to change behaviors. I do think it's going to be an incredible incentive, certainly here in California, if not Silicon Valley. There'll be more encouragement to have electric cars. Okay. Okay. I think that a lot of things like that will happen. It's going to be very interesting whether people decide to add solar to their housing, whether we're debating right now um, because one program that would be obvious to support would be to encourage solar installations on housing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we've got so much solar already being produced, do we really want to add more you know, capacity? I never would have thought about yeah. that. Okay, so, so you're challenge. thinking about that. Is, is that just a, a good governance thought process mm-hmm. or is it also the architect process? It's both. Okay. That's what exactly I'm saying. Okay, because yeah. um, clients think that they want to have solar, mechanical engineers, you know, and uh, we, we work with the USGBC and we work with the state building codes. So it really is an educational, professional discussion. Yeah. And... The key, of course, is power storage. Power storage. It's the power storage. 
And that, of course, is going to impact us. Share with us, you know, power storage. storage. So, as is obvious, uh, solar um, is produced when the sun is shining. And it certainly is produced in extensive quantities in the afternoons. You look at the deserts. If, if you've had a chance to fly from San Francisco or San Jose to um, Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix, yeah, yeah. Phoenix or Texas, you will fly at 35,000 feet. And you will look down. There'll be a funny little flash. Yeah, and and you'll look down. And you will see something from 35,000 feet. You will see something that looks like, oh, I'm going to say a three-by-five card. Yeah. Okay? And you're at 35,000 feet. And you look down. That's a solar field. Yeah. The amount of power, the amount of energy that that produces at, in the peak times, we have to have a way that it can be used when the sun isn't shining. We need storage. We need power storage. Yeah. So in, in addition to the, the power storage and changing the, the, uh, the mindsets, are there any other cities outside of who you work with and other states even that have come to you and, and said, you know, Liz, can you share with us? Share with us how you are doing what you're doing and help us potentially implement this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so now here comes politics again. Okay. <laughs> so um, Introduce them, please. <laughs> the, um, as I said, the California legislation allows for the establishment of these um, community choice aggregates. You know, you aggregate together communities choosing to produce their own power. Um, you'll hear the phrase CCA or CCE, Community Choice Aggregate or Community Choice Energy. And we have, um, as you would suspect, a uh, professional organization of all of the existing CCAs. And I think there are 14 now. As I said, Sonoma and Napa were the very first, and they were uh, six and seven years ago. And slowly but surely, more and more being um, established. The Bay Area is the core of the expansion. There are a few in the, in the south. It is my understanding that um, there are, uh, like uh, Monterey right now is just beginning to establish theirs, Monterey County. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, there was a conference uh, last week, actually, where cities came to the conference to learn about this and see if they might want to do it. Uh, so it's um, a growing, uh, really wonderful uh, opportunity for cities, yeah. and it's it's a challenge. The challenge how, how is, is it challenging? It, yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. the challenge is you are asking your government, you are asking yourselves to have confidence in your government that they can run a corporation to provide your your energy, as opposed to PG and E. Okay. okay. We actually compete with uh, PG&E yeah. for your business. Yeah. So you you being the architect, are you uh, the spearhead of this this this? I would love to say yes, but I'm not. Okay. Um, okay. So you want to know some more politics? Absolutely. This, yeah, because it's relevant to all this. this it really is. As much as we try to ignore it, it uh, is relevant. No, no, it's extraordinarily relevant. Yeah. So, uh, do you think your audience might know about climate action plans? I do uh, climate change, perhaps, but action plans. I'm not sure. Okay, um, and I'm going to say it's Senate Bill 357, but I will tell everyone that I didn't have it in my notes, so I'm not sure. I'm totally right. 
It has to do with the California legislature um, requiring cities to bring their greenhouse gas uh, emissions below, I think it's the ninth. Now, see, I didn't bring any notes on this, but below a standard. It might be 1999. I don't have, I could look it up. We should, I can try and get more specific there. Um, But there's a state law that requires all cities to get their greenhouse gases below 2003. My mind just went there, 2003 standards. And the way to do that is you have to do a study, and you have to put it into a record, and it's called a climate action plan. It says what you were before and um, what you are now, and then you are going to take actions to get from where you are now back to where you should be. And that law was the basis of doing uh, community choice energy. Nice. Well, let's get back to that when we return. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Goggles Optional is a podcast where scientists from Stanford University provide their professional yet humorous take from the world of science. Join us as our hosts explore the significant news and discoveries of the week using a combination of wit, analogy, and words with less than four syllables. Goggles Optional has been featured as a New York new and noteworthy science podcast on iTunes and by the Stanford School of Medicine. Don't worry, you don't need to be a scientist to listen. The goggles are optional. Now back to The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford. We're talking today with Liz Gibbons, architect and mayor of Campbell, California. Liz was also honored as the Campbell Citizen of the Year in 2014. For more information, you can visit www.ci.campbell.ca.us. That's www.ci.campbell.ca.us. Liz, we were talking about the um, climate action plan. Is, is, that, um, is that an evolving plan or is it set? So the answer is it's a set document, okay. but it has to be monitored. So it's an ongoing effort. So every city in the state of California has to prepare a climate action plan, which documents their current uh, greenhouse gas emissions versus the goal of getting back to their 2003 greenhouse gas emission standards. Yeah, okay? Okay. Once you've done that, then they want, and the plan is how you are going to achieve that, okay? Then they monitor it every year or every five years, depending on the state requirements, to say, have you met the goal that by 2030 you are, in fact, back down to your 2003 goal, mm-hmm. okay? So it's a plan on how you are going to get from here back to where you need to be. And every year you monitor it, and then um, you monitor it forever to make sure you stay under that. Yeah. So why is that monitor important? Monitor it forever. Yeah, like monitor that. it forever. Okay. But why is it important? Yeah, yeah okay. share with us, please. So, again, the state legislation is objective is to reduce greenhouse uh, gas emissions. Buildings emit a great deal of greenhouse gas. Some people say as much as 40%. Do you think so? I think it's less than that, but it's substantive. The other uh, big source is uh, cars, automobiles, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard the number 40% for that, okay? And then you have manufacturing, okay? So whatever the components are in in our society, there are generators of greenhouse gas. 
Now, if you are a city government and you have major corporations in your city that help fund and operate your city, provide uh, revenues, or you're a city that needs to bring in new revenue sources, such as new businesses, how can you bring them in if they're going to raise your greenhouse yeah, gas? You got me curious. Yeah, okay. how, do you, how do you do that? All right. Or so how do, you, how do you try to do it? So providing 100% carbon... Yeah, as she settles me down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, providing 100% carbon neutral power is a major, major step in controlling the expansion of greenhouse gas emissions because you've eliminated all the greenhouse gas emissions from power production. Yeah, so but you also can, if, if that's how you, you can also attract... Well, that's it. Now allows you you have a I'm going to say a built-in capacity within your greenhouse gas allocation to bright bring in new businesses, yeah, new jobs. You know, yeah. yeah. Touch on that because I, I'm seeing it, but I I, I can't. It's your show, so I, I'm not going to share with it. Touch on that. You know, it brings in new, new new companies, new new ways of thinking that are more efficient, more effective, uh, cleaner. Share how. Well, uh, I think for most cities. Okay, so this this again gets to be political and complicated, but I will tie it back to architecture as well. I hope for your audience um, is every city needs to be, I'm going to say, self-sustaining. Our goal is to be in the black. Like it. We yeah. only want to spend as much or less than what we take in. Okay. And uh, providing public services to residential uh, areas is more expensive than providing services to commercial and office um, and industrial uses. So you need to have a balance where you can... Offset, I'm going to say, a balance and offset cost between one type of community resource production and one source of uh, consumption. So um, offices, industrial and retail and commercial, all help support the residential components. So it's a balancing act. Then you also have the balancing act of having uh, a balance between jobs and housing units, You'll hear about that a lot. I'm also, um, <laughs> I was talking to some third graders yesterday morning and this morning trying to explain what a mayor did and how much time it took to be an elected official. Oh, I'd love to hear. What were their questions? <laughs> they were fun. We'll okay. do that. Uh, we'll come back to to the wonderful third graders, why, which is why I'm wearing my police badge. Uh, yeah. The um, I'm on ABEG, the Association of Bay Area Governments, which has just combined with MTC, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. And um, the goal of that, uh, uh, those two groups, is to try and define a balance between jobs and housing. And transportation is uh, ideally the link between that. And uh, what we're saying is if you can have more jobs and more housing in the same area, you can have a balance of jobs and housing in a relatively defined area mm-hmm. with good public, in my opinion, yeah. good public uh, transportation, then you reduce greenhouse gases as well 
because people don't have to be in their cars driving from Turlock or wherever, right? Yeah. So you can see we have all these wonderful three-dimensional looking around the corner, uh, seeing Thanks, things Liz. from yeah. many different ways. So um, we want to have businesses come in so there's employment opportunities for our community. And ideally, that people won't have to drive. They can either walk, bicycle, or take uh, public transit uh, to their jobs. So we're trying to balance that as well. And then as an architect, when you're building housing, it's easier to define for housing, but it applies to any kind of new construction. We want to make sure that they use uh, electric hot water heaters. We wanted to make sure they use electric dryers. We want to encourage all the infrastructure of day-to-day living in new construction is electric. Therefore, we continue, even though we're growing, that we are not growing our greenhouse gas emissions. We're actually reducing yeah, them. That is amazing how you're still – it sounds as if you're – you're, um, it's like you're – you're letting go to bring in. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. sounds weird. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but it's it's like you're letting go of to actually have more of. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I, I um, My favorite analogy, as uh, I have I, as said earlier, I like puzzles. And I grew up with thinking yeah. puzzles. And I think one of the reasons I liked puzzles is because, they, to me, they're three-dimensional, yeah. you know. You see organization <laughs> with no one else sees organization. And um, to me, what we're um, talking about is like a big Rubik's Cube of puzzles. Yeah. There's all of these facets that you have to try and bring together and order so that the right colors come up across the whole um, uh, box or um octagon or whatever you're dealing yeah. with so um it's it's fascinating it's just i think i think fascinating yeah well it is fascinating but you also have obviously the skills uh, the minds the mindset and the value system to say how do you create a community that's really it sounds sappy as heck but it's true how does how do you help make a community happy on a more con- on a continuous basis Maybe that's stretching out a little bit, but you know what? It really comes down to kind of that that sort of gut level, visceral little, hey, you know what? We're happy living here. We enjoy living here. And the community seems to be not just enjoyable, but it's getting better. Like, how do, how do you – you're obviously sharing with us how you put that all together, but how do you not s- sleep <laughs> you know, to to, to to do all that for how many citizens do you have? In we some? have uh, a little over 40,000 right okay, now. Okay, so for 40,000 people, you're in essence kind of thinking and feeling for 40,000 people mm-hmm. plus, not just mm-hmm. them, but, you know, they have visitors, family, they come in there. How do you... Uh, how do you do you ever turn it off? Like what other activities do you do? Do you just kind of turn that off to say, uh, you know, I, I got to give it a time out here? Oh, uh, that is essential. Okay, that is absolutely essential. Uh, and as I had indicated before, I love to travel. Yes. And um, so I have um, uh, a large group of friends, and we uh, we call ourselves affectionately the backpacking group. We don't exactly <laughs> go backpacking anymore. <laughs> okay. So what do you do now? Well, we do do. Canoeing, okay. oh. kayaking, um, and we do a lot of camping. And uh, last year we went to really an incredible place outside of uh, Yosemite, which uh, was the 20 Lakes region, and uh, it's at 11,000 feet. I was impressed. I live here at, at sea level, and mm-hmm. I went to 11,000 yeah. uh, feet. How was that? It was wonderful. Oh, yeah? And I, and I walked, and I hiked around all these incredible—it's uh-huh. above the tree line— and uh, we uh, walked around all these incredible lakes. 
and it was very, very remote, very peaceful, and you could see wildflowers and beautiful birds and all kinds of things in quiet. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM Stanford. On KZSU Stanford 90.1 at 9 a.m. on Monday mornings, we have an hour-long intellectual dialogue about life and literature, including discussions of the arts, sciences, and history, with mainly Stanford-based academics, as well as other distinguished guests. It's hosted by Robert Harrison, a professor of French and Italian literature, and it is a favorite program of yours truly. Entitled Opinions with Robert Harrison is at 9 a.m. on Monday mornings. Check it out on KZSU Stanford 90.1. Now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Liz Gibbons, architect and mayor of Campbell, California, honored as Campbell Citizen of the Year in 2014. For more information, you can visit www.ci.campbell.ca.us. That's www.ci.campbell.ca.us. Liz, out of the quiet in your <laughs> affectionate group called the Backpackers, do you bring that quiet back into your city and see different landscapes that's just pure, pure nature into an actual human environment? Do you ever find yourself taking from what you what you've discovered and bringing it back? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. I have okay. kind of two different takes on it. The first, most obvious one is Campbell is extremely fortunate. Uh, we've uh, had a, a community that um, identifies itself as a, a series of neighbors and neighborhoods. We are very, very much connected. And we have all kinds of community events. And we value open space um, and recreation. And one of the great elements that we happen to be physically next to is the Los Gatos Creek and the Los Gatos Creek Trail. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't imagine there's any way to count how many hours of time people spend on our creek trails. Uh, you can walk all the way up to Lexington Reservoir from Campbell. You can walk uh, almost into downtown San Jose. There's this real sense of uh, peace and quiet and wildlife. Um, you can go fishing. Um, uh, mom and dads can bring little ones to go into the fish yeah. ponds and, and do their first fishing. All of that's there. We have an incredible community center. And very interesting, in, in uh, 1980, the uh, population was slowing down, and the school district decided to sell our vu- uh, vulnerable, what's the right word? Venerable. Our okay. venerable high school. Venerable. And uh, it was on the National Register of, Register of Historic Places. It's just an incredible um, campus. And um, when the school district decided to close the school down, yeah. the city voted, the citizens voted to buy it. So we bought this, and it has been our community center. We have a track, and there's not 
one minute in 24 hours that there isn't someone walking on that track. We have the pool. We have incredible classes for physical fitness, and we have um, swim teams, but we have senior exercise programs in the pool. Uh, it is the center of community life. The, the um, soccer teams play there. There's some football teams that play there. Uh, we have all kinds of child care, daycare programs there. Phenomenal senior programs. Campbell is along with, we are the first county in the country to be um, a World Health Organization um, age-friendly city. Really? How did you get, become that, uh, well, get the designation and then actually more importantly become that? Right. City? So Campbell has always valued its seniors. I mean, a lot of people don't realize they think that we're getting a younger population. We are, but our population is also growing older. So uh, we need to be respectful of all the lifestyles. And certainly older people don't feel old. You know, if you're 60, you really think of yourself as 40. If you're 70, you still think of yourself as 40. And uh, we have these incredible programs always. We have senior lunch programs um, that help some people who don't have the financial resources. It's also a big social opportunity for people to meet. We have trips, all these kinds of things. And it turns out that the World Health Organization... <clears throat> has a recognition of the world's population growing older. And they have this program, um, which is called Age-Friendly Cities. And basically what you do is you put together, much like the Climate Action Plan, you put together a program of all your current and proposed programs to continue supporting your seniors. I have something else really yeah. exciting it's exciting to talk about on that. We like excitement. <laughs> Share with us, please. I have to put a note down so I remember. <laughs> um, so um, it is a series of steps you go through. You submit your application and uh, to the World Health Organization. And the supervisors of Santa Clara County um, asked all of our cities to take this on as an important aspect of our life and our lifestyle here in Silicon Valley. And we all did. All 15 cities and the unincorporated county took on the challenge. And we, as a county, are the first county where every city and every unincorporated area are certified. So we are 100% certified World Health Age-Friendly City. That is excellent. You know, there's got to be something, uh, something said for... Um the valuing of uh, senior citizens. Mm -hmm. what, what I mean by that is this: is you, you're you're able to um, kind of extract their wisdom. Oh, without question. And and, and that helps uh, another generation. So it seems it seems like again, there's, there's back back to you know your treatment of the uh, you know the uh, the seniors or mm -hmm. people what over 50, 50 60, I'm not sure what, mm -hmm. what what age it that's called. Um, but again, you're you're taking that wisdom and you're imparting it into uh, a new community. Again, it's almost like constant renewal. It's, it's constant renewal, but it's recognizing that life isn't over. I mean, really? Yeah, I didn't think about that. You know, but it, yeah. it, it, there is this wisdom from, the, from these people uh, of a certain age, clearly, but uh, there's a vitality there. There's something that you can look forward to. 
and uh, really, oh, you're I mean, right. You're it's, right. I mean, it it's is. role models, but it's it's more than that. No, it is. It's actually deeper than that. It and, is. and I'm seeing it as you're as yeah. you're sharing with it. Yeah. I was trying to see in my mind's eye or the 3D as you, yeah. <laughs> you talked about. Is it? It does. It helps renew a community with that. It's it, it. You would think, oh, it's all senior. No, it's actually growing mm-hmm. because of that. So mm-hmm. going back to your early inspiration, is that is it kind of tied together? You know, we talked about this. How you know why you are where you exactly are? Well, um, I'll, I'll say that uh, you think about young people. So when I was building my igloos and different kinds <laughs> yeah. of, of, of crazy things, yeah. you know, I was probably first, second, third, third, fourth grade, you know. Uh, today and yesterday and once more next week, um, we have um, the third grade is a time when young people are being exposed to um, civics, you know, mm-hmm. what's what's the history of the community, what's voting mean, what's, you know, government mean, government mean and um, how do you participate? And so we invite um, the local schools to have their third grade class come. And as mayor, I get <laughs> to make the presentation to the third graders. Yeah. And so uh, this morning, uh, they all showed up. And I took them outside, and uh, we talked about we have a veterans memorial in the park in front of City Hall, and we talked about what a veterans memorial means and what all the flags are. And we asked them to name all the different services. And then we took them into the center and talked about the plaques that we have there that reflect Campbell's Orchard City history. Oh, that's terrific. Liz, before we we uh, we commence our, our show, the hat. Oh, talk, I wanted to talk about the hat as <laughs> as much as like, what are you going to end it on a hat? Yeah. Okay. Well, the hat is fun okay. because uh, the students have a sense, as you can suspect, uh, and it's important to recognize that young people know that difficult times happen, and certainly, what's happening in Santa Rosa can cause fear. And they want to understand how they are safe and what they can do to be safe. And one of the things that Campbell has done superbly well, 100% volunteer activity, is called CERT, Community Emergency Response Team. So I'm a member. We get training from the county fire department on how to take care of ourselves, our families, and our neighbors when there's some incident that happens. So today, when I went and spent time with the students, I wore my CERT hat, okay? And we talked about how to be prepared uh, so that when something difficult happens, you have confidence that you know how to take care of yourself. And that was fun. And after we talked about that, we went for a tour of the police department and a police car. Oh, they must have been thrilled. They were. That's great. Liz, it's been a real, real privilege having you as our guest today. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. It's, uh, I love talking about uh, all of this stuff that's part of of my world and sharing uh it is great so thank you for this opportunity oh thank you we've (laughs) we've been honored truly we really have you've been listening to the modern architect i'm tom dior our guest today has been liz gibbons architect and mayor of campbell california honored as campbell citizen of the year in 2014 
Liz understands the power of architecture transforming a community. As president of the American Institute of Architects in Silicon Valley, Liz worked extensively with federal and state legislators, as well as now. For these services, she was named John F. Bowles Fellow. For more information, please, well, you're welcome to visit www.ci.campbell.ca.us. That's www.ci.campbell.ca.us. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California. It's a production of KZC Radio. The recording engineer is, and production manager is Akshay Jaggi. Assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. The executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. The Modern Architect airs at 10 a.m. on KZSU Stanford. Tune in again next week for another edition of The Modern Architect. Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com works with architects from architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products for their building projects. We at KZSU thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.